As we come to worship, we've lifted our hearts and our voices to the Lord uh, to speak our worship to him. But now is our time to hear his voice and his word. We're continuing our, our time together, uh, walking through the Gospel of John. And we come to chapter 11 today. Our text will be John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. For those of you who keep count, my notes tell me this is our 50th sermon in the Gospel of John. And I apologize that I'm kind of racing through these passages and not spending enough time uh, developing them. This chapter before us is in many ways very familiar, and yet um, familiar because there's such a rich truth in this chapter, chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. I encourage you to follow in your Bible as I read chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Martha, that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go, that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Chapter 10, you'll recall, closed uh, with Jesus leaving the hostility of Jerusalem. And he had said, I and the Father are one. I am the Son of God. And at that, they, you remember, they, they picked up stones to throw at him. And they had surrounded him, but, and he left before they could grab him. We're told from there, he went down across the Jordan to the place where uh, John originally was baptizing. And uh, so that's in the region of Perea, which is, again, the region across the Jordan River. And it was a place of, um, where the hostility was uh, harder to reach him. It's about 20 miles away. And that is where our Lord is now ministering. And we were told at the end of chapter 10 that people were coming and, 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 and John's ministry was bearing fruit because they said, uh, this one is greater than John. John did no miracle. And John pointed to Jesus, and so there were those who were hearing, and those who were believing, and those that were following Jesus there. 
Well, John chapter 11 tells us of another miracle. This is the last of the seven signs that John uh, mentions through his gospel. And just to kind of help you put that in perspective, I'll, I'll remind us of them. In John chapter 2, he turned water into wine. Remember at the wedding of Cana. In John chapter 4, it was the healing of the nobleman's son. In chapter 5, the healing of the uh, man who was uh, uh, crippled. In chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. In chapter 6, also the, the walking on water. In chapter 9, the healing of the blind man that kind of led to all that con- conflict. That was chapters 9 and 10, really. And then here we find in chapter 11, the restoration of Lazarus. As I thought about those signs, and, and, and frankly, as I just began this uh, chapter, I was noticing how it starts with talking about that person. And, 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 and as I noticed these signs, it seems to me how personal. Now, Jesus did many a miracle. Uh, he would, you know, when he would come into a, the, a, a city, a village, a town, uh, disease was banished. They brought everyone that was sick to him. And, and, and so many of these people were a quick touch, a quick a quick contact, a quick word, and they were healed. Many, he was never told a name. But, but these signs seem so personal. The first one, at, at a wedding in Cana, a very small town, smaller than Nazareth, and that was a, a, a city, a, a thriving metropolis of about 200. And so Cana, just a small wedding, but meeting a personal need. They've run out of the, the, the wine. The healing of a nobleman's son. The healing of the crippled man. The feeding of the 5,000 is more of a crowd thing. More, less personal, if you will. Walking on water. Right there to his disciples. The healing of the blind man. Just one man. Now Lazarus. But it seems, so John is bringing out these personal encounters with the Lord. And, and, and showing his majesty to individuals. And our Lord was like that. Sometimes it was the crowd. Of 5,000 plus, you remember 5,000 men, and if you count women and children, 15,000 maybe or more. But, but here, this, this, this man lame there sitting and begging, the, the, the blind man the, and, and Lazarus. Once again, John draws our attention back to an individual. It says, now there was a certain man. He, he begins this kind of, here was this individual. And his name was Lazarus of Bethany. Then he goes on and tells us it was the town of Mary and her sister Martha. We gathered that they were better known. We're not told immediately. We're told it's the city of Mary and Martha, but we're not told they're his relatives right away. It comes in a couple verses. But uh, we're told he's from Bethany. And, and, and Bethany, if, if you read through the Gospel of John in particular, it seems that Bethany was a safe haven for the Lord. It was a place of refreshing. Um, we'll find that this is a family that he would visit with. And Bethany is, is, if, is just about two miles from Jerusalem. You, you, you leave where the Temple Mount is, go down across the Kidron River, up the Mount of Olives, and just over the top of the Mount of Olives is Bethany. And so often when our Lord went to Jerusalem, this is where he stayed. This was a place of peace, a place of welcome, 
uh, a place of calm, a place of love and affection. So this little Bethany is, is a home away from home for Jesus. And that's where this final sign miracle happens. In verse 2, we're told, it, 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 we're told it was the town of Mary and Martha, as well as Lazarus. And we're told it was Mary, it was that Mary, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So now we're told that Mary of Bethany, it, it's that Mary, the one where she anoints the anointed feet of Jesus, wiped those feet with her hair. Um, that was a famous story. Though John hasn't told us about that. He will in chapter 12. But he assumes, uh, even as he's writing this gospel, that others know this account. And first of all, I should say, which Mary? You know, again, Mary is one of those common names. Um, John is one of those common names in, in our day and also in Jesus' day. And Mary was a common name. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the wife of Clops, Clopas, the mother of James. Mary Magdalene. This Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And the mother of John, who um, call, also called Mark. So right there is just a handful that are named in the New Testament, in, in the Gospels. But Mary, we're told, is the one who anointed Jesus' feet, wiped them with her hair. And, he's, and John assumes we know that story, even though he hasn't told us yet. And I think perhaps in the, he's reflecting what's in Matthew 26, 13. The same event is described in Matthew. Jesus said, Assuredly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Uh, that's how he says she will be famous wherever the gospel goes. Now keep that in mind when we get to chapter 12. Jesus says that event was so significant to him that he wants us to honor that woman for her faith and love wherever the gospel goes. So really that probably needs to be, if you're preparing a gospel track, there needs to be a page in there about, no, well, maybe not. But, but it just says this this showed a heart that the Lord wanted us to honor and emulate, to copy her. Well, then verse 3, Therefore, the sisters, remember Mary is also sister to, um, to Martha, and we're also told in this verse, and she's, her brother is Lazarus. So here's this, uh, this family of three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is sometimes how they're put, Mary because of her fame, if we get through the details, we could figure out it looks like Martha is the oldest and maybe Lazarus the youngest. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus would be the order then. Well, here he is. He's sick. It's a familiar, beloved place with familiar, beloved people. Verse 3, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Let's think about that. When they sent to him, what does that mean? We're so used to now. Oh, I texted you. Why? It's three minutes with no response. What's wrong? Um, those were hard times. And they sent, so they sent servant probably to Jesus in Beth in, in, in Bethabara, there across the Jordan. It's about 20 miles. And tonight I'll show you the, the video. It's uh, most of us would be a little challenged by the, the distance of the hills and the heat. Um, 
But it's about a day journey. If you don't waste any time, you can do it in a day. So the servant was sent to tell Jesus. And, and they sent to say this, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, it's, it's interesting to notice here that he's, he calls Lazarus, he whom you love. Again, that reflects there's a special relationship between Jesus and his family. Verse 5 will bring it out. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, they're, they're, again, they're, they're familiar. He was often in their home whenever he was in Jerusalem. And there was a great love and affection. Them towards Jesus and Jesus toward them. Notice and how gentle their, their request is. What are, they, what are they telling Jesus? Please come and heal our brother. You've healed whole villages all over Israel. Come heal our brother. But it's more gentle than that, isn't it? Uh, Jesus, the one you love, he whom you love is sick. And so they're not thinking to try and push Jesus, but just letting him know you should be aware Lazarus is sick. You might have a loved one, uh, and you, uh, maybe a family member. You get a call and say, just thought you should know, Tommy is in the hospital. They don't have to tell you what to do. You probably want to get to the hospital and see how Tommy's doing. Jesus, the one you love, is sick. And I like the way they put that. The one you love is sick. They're not trying to say, now you know how much Lazarus loved you. You know how much Lazarus served you. You know how much Lazarus has done for you. Uh, They may have been, we'll see as the passages develop, that apparently they had some some means. We can tell that by the kind of grave that Lazarus had and the banquet they had and the kind of myrrh she anoints Jesus with. They were a family of some means. They must have generously supported Jesus. But they don't say, look at all he's done for you. Sometimes people will, will talk to the Lord like that or at least have it in their heart and say, you know, when you think of all I've done for you, Lord, I gave my life to serve you. I've, I've given, I've worked, I've, uh, whatever it may be. But they don't say that. They say, the one you love is sick. We don't earn God's blessing. His blessing flows from his love for us. And so that's what they're appealing to, your love. You love Lazarus. And he's sick. You know what to do. Well, we're told what happens. The messengers came. When Jesus received the report, they, they, I'll bet they left, uh, probably they left early in the morning so they wouldn't have to spend the night on the road. And, and, and early in the morning they left when they got there and came to Jesus and said, the one you love is sick. Verse 4 tells us Jesus' response. When, when Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, I'm going to, if, if you jump ahead, I didn't read, I, I wrestled with, should I read the whole chapter too, about 44 verses, and I thought, eh, I might lose you in the process. But this is the famous Lazarus in the grave, and remember when, when Jesus is about to call him out of the grave, and I hope this is, uh, I'm not ruining the story for you, 
Uh, his, sister, his sister says, oh, you know, Lord, he's, he's been in their grave for four days. Okay? He's been, he's been dead for four days. So when they sent the messengers, or messenger, uh, Jesus, Lazarus was still alive. Now think about it. That, that took one day to get to Jesus. Well, well, I'll just put it to you. On day one, the messenger, this, I'll read it as uh, Warren Wearsby lays it out directly. The messenger comes to Jesus, says, and, and then the messenger returns to Bethany on day two. Jesus waits another day and departs and then arrives in Bethany. And at that point, Jesus, um, Lazarus has been dead for four days. So what that means is, it looks like Lazarus died after the messenger left. Okay. And so, notice what Jesus says, and, and you'll see from the, as the text continues, Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He'll tell the disciples without any further word, Lazarus is dead. When the messengers arrived and said, uh, Lazarus, the one you love is sick, just, Jesus didn't betray the fact that he knew he was already dead. He just said, thank you for your message. But now he says, when Jesus heard that, he said, his sick, this sickness is not unto death. He was already dead. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What, what does he mean? Did Jesus not know he was dead? Oh, it's clear he does. What he's saying is, death isn't the final outcome of this illness. Now you can imagine how the sisters, had he been right there and said, that's, a, that's not the final outcome, they would have, what are you talking about? But Jesus is, is, is laying up here. There's something bigger. The, the final outcome of Lazarus' illness is not his death, but the glory of God. The glory of God. And he says, for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verses uh, 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Verse 6 almost makes us think, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. He loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Therefore, he waited another two days. We might say, if we were writing that, even though he loved, still he waited. No, he's, he, he waited two more days because of his love for them. What's going on there? I think what's, what's happening here is he, his intention is to, to raise Lazarus from the dead. You can imagine the sisters and what they're going through. They sent off the messenger, and they're probably watching through the hours. Do you think he's reached Jericho yet? Has he crossed the Jordan River yet? Has he met Jesus yet? What's happening? But, but somewhere in there, Lazarus dies. I don't know about these wonderful young ladies, but do you suppose that they might have said, Jesus has healed total strangers all around Israel. Why couldn't he have healed his friend Lazarus. Do you think he knew he was sick and just 
and, and still didn't come? Remember the time he healed someone without even going to them? He didn't have to go to that person's home. He could just, just heal them by his will. Do you think they wrestled with that? Are they asking why? That's a tough question always to ask. Sometimes we want to ask the why. And remember, and, and remember, I think of Job, whenever you think about asking God why, remember Job, at the, after all the trials, God speaks to him and says, you know, do you know this, do you know this, do you know this? And he says, well, of course I don't. And he says, then, then you can't handle what, what I know. And he never does answer his question. He never does lay it out and explain it to him. But we ask that question sometimes, why? That doesn't seem loving. But notice... I was, I'm struck by verse 5. Verse 6, I'm struck. Therefore he waited two days. It doesn't tell us that necessarily something very important was happening there. Of course, we don't know. But verse 5 to me is so important. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore he stayed Too often, I've heard, and maybe you have heard it, maybe you've said it. If God loved me, why did he let this happen to me? I've had it asked directly to me. Why doesn't God love me? Why do you say that? Look at what I have experienced. Look at my loss. Look at my suffering. God can't love me. And so I think verse 5 is such an important verse to put in here. As he is showing what Jesus is doing, he says, I want you to understand what Jesus is doing is, is, is sourced in his love for them. It is not a denial of his love for them. Ultimately, it's a demonstration of his love for them. Do not make the mistake of measuring God's love by your circumstances. Rather, view your circumstances through the eyes and assurance of God's love. We do not measure God's, and that's where some false preachers are out there and say, you'll know how much, how much you've done for God and how much he loves you by, how much is in your bank account or the car you're driving or your health and welfare, whatever it might be. And if you, any of those things are, are diminishing, then obviously you're out of favor with God. That is not what the Bible says. And here's a perfect example. God loved them, therefore he allowed Lazarus to die in his abs- without going to them. God's love is not seen in our comfort, in our checkbook account, in our health. We are told how we can measure God's love in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us that's his love you know you've heard the expression how much does God love love me this much Jesus on the cross that's how I know God loves me and again and again the scriptures will point back to that as the demonstration of God's love for us not our circumstances and so John is, is making very clear 
Inspired of the Holy Spirit, this is God's affirmation. Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's not like one of them's out of favor, he's going to punish her or him. In his love, he delays. Do not allow those delays in answered prayer as you perceive them. Do not see the denials to your prayer as you perceive them to be a denial of God's love. How do I know God's love me? The cross. What more do we need? Don't be deceived by looking at circumstances. Well, then the Lord announces his plan to his disciples in verses um, 7 through 16. Notice he doesn't say, uh, verses 7 and 8, then after this he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there again? Now it's interesting to me how Jesus tells his disciples, okay, servant came, messenger sent, messenger arrives, he's sick, and Jesus knows he's dead and tells him, don't worry, this is for the glory of God, waits for two days. Then he says to his disciples, we're going to Judea again. He doesn't, notice he doesn't say we're going to Bethany. We're going to Lazarus or Mary and Martha. We're going to Judea. They're in the province east of the Jordan River called Perea. They're going to cross the Jordan River back into Judea where Jerusalem is. And the disciples are quick to remind Jesus. They say, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. By the way, I guess it's not... When we pray to the Lord, we tell him our circumstances, but don't feel like you need to, that he lacks information. Okay? And so, Jesus, that's where, you know, Judea, that's where they were trying to stone you. You're going to go there again? They still haven't quite figured out, I think, who Jesus is and what he knows. If Jesus announces a plan, uh, he's, he's got wisdom in that. Don't we make the same mistake? Lord, didn't you know I needed that job? Didn't you know whatever it may be that you're thinking of? That How did that one get by you, Lord? It didn't. It didn't. Well, Jesus answered them, verses 9 and 10. Are there not 12 hours in the day? Again, how often did Jesus, he, you know, the old answer a question with a question, you know. I've told you about the rabbi. Remember, someone asked the rabbi, why is it every time we ask you a question, you, you, you answer us with a question? To which he replied, why not? And so here they asked Jesus, don't you know? So he asked them a question. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. If one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So he's kind of telling a parable. When do you do your work? We're so used to now, you know, uh, things being 24-7. Actually, after COVID now, we have to get, there's new, new closing hours. You know, and so, but, you know, we're, we kind of got used to 24-7. And, you know, you, you, know, you want to work on something, you, you have lights for that. You know, sometimes I've, you know, set up lights and made put on lots of lights so I can try and get the last bit done in the yard. 
when, in this time of the world, when, it was, when the, the sun was down, the work stopped. And that was normal history for thousands of years. When the, lights, when the sun went down, you went indoors. You know, maybe you could do a couple of tasks indoors, but you, know, you didn't take a journey at night. You didn't work at night because you couldn't see. And so what Jesus is using that as an illustration, it's daytime. I have work to do. It's not nighttime yet. What he's saying is, it's, it's still time for work. And so I'm not going to die yet. It is not God's appointed time. Jesus was very aware of the appointed time for God and of God's plans. Let me just read a quote from J.C. Ryle. He said, my 12 hours of ministry, my day of work is not yet over. There is no fear, speaking for himself, of my life being cut off before the time. I shall not be slain until my work is done. Until my hour has come, I am safe and not a hair of my head can be touched. I am the one walking in the full light of the sun who cannot fall. The night will soon be here when I shall walk on earth no longer, but the night has not yet come. That's true of Jesus and that's true of us. It's been said that we're indestructible until it's God's time. And when it's God's time, there's nothing you can do to stop it. The time is appointed. Jesus was aware of that. I'll just read some, a number of passages. I'll just call it out. In John 2, 4, he said, My hour has not yet come. In John 7, 6, My time has not yet come. John 7, 30, one laid a hand on him. No, one, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John 8, 20, No one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. So it's telling in chapter 12, verse 23, when Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And in John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. John 17, 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son. Jesus was well aware that God had a plan and God had a schedule. Jesus was well aware of much of that schedule. And Jesus knew it wasn't time yet. And that's why when they picked up stones to throw, throw at him, he was able to just get out of the situation because it wasn't time. The time would come when they would come to arrest him and he doesn't even flee. It's his time. And so they, let, they arrest him. And he knows what's coming. He announces to his disciples the night before. It's, it's time. The hour has come. In fact, remember, before he says that to them, Judas Iscariot you know, leaves the upper room. Um, Jesus tells him, go and do what you must do. And we're told, and as he went out, it was night. The time of darkness has come. So what Jesus is saying is, don't worry, it's not my time yet. Jesus knew that. We don't. You know, so, so if you're thinking, well, it's not my time yet, so I don't have to look both ways before crossing the street. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, and so what Jesus is trying to assure them, don't worry. God's plan will not be short-circuited. God has a program. It will be accomplished. 
And that's another reminder. Again, some of the false religions out there say Jesus failed. That's what, that, it was a, sure was a pity he went to the cross. No, that was the plan. Right on schedule. But it is true for us too. John 139, or John 139. If you find John 139, chapter 139, let me know. In Psalm 139, verse 16, speaking to the Lord, your eyes see my substance, saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me when yet not one of them, uh, when as yet there were none of them. So what he's saying is, Lord, you'd already written my diary before one day of my life had been lived. He has a plan. He has a schedule. Which is an interesting thought to consider when someone seems to die far too young. No one dies early. They, they live the full life God intended for them. Their days are appointed. In chapter, starting then at verse 11, these things Jesus said after that. And after that, he said to them, O friend, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. When his disciples say, um, his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. You know, sleep is good. That's, a lot of times we'll tell someone, what you need is you just need some time in bed, lots of fluid, you'll get over this thing. Bed rest, that's what you need. They're thinking of literal sleep when Jesus said he's asleep. At this point, they're more worried about their lives than his. Lord, he's sick, we'll die. You'll die if you go to Judea. Stay put. It's, it's too risky. But we're told, no, Jesus didn't mean he was asleep. He meant he was dead. Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And so Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. You read through your New Testament often, the death of a believer is called sleep. That's a wonderful expression to me. When someone is asleep, it, 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 it means that's a time of rest and peace. We even use that expression, rest in peace. Uh, when someone's asleep, they have not ceased to exist. And when someone's asleep, they will wake up. That's true for the believer. When our body sleeps, our soul does not cease to exist. Our soul goes immediately into the presence with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5. And further... For the believer, for, for, there's a resurrection coming for everyone. For the believer, a, rection, a resurrection into life and communion with the Lord. The, the death, the, it's a sleep. We will rise again. And so it's called sleep. He's gone to sleep. You may have heard me mention this at times, that it's interesting, the word we use, cemetery, means the place of the sleepers. It could even be translated dormitory. It's a resting place. It's not the final resting place. 
of the body or soul. In verse 15, he said, I'm glad for your sakes I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, how can he say he was glad he wasn't there? Lazarus died. But his whole point is, he began by saying, this isn't for death, this is for glory. There's a greater glory coming but that required his death. That God's glory might be seen in the power of resurrection. If he was already dead, why wait two days? Okay, he's dead. Now you can go raise him. The problem is, I think if he had raised him right away, followed the servants back, the people would have said, well, maybe he wasn't really dead. Maybe he just resuscitated him. You know, you've heard these stories sometimes where they think someone's dead and they've even sent them to the funeral home and then they, they wake up. It's a very disturbing thought. <laughs> But the point is, they don't want, there's not going to be, when he's four, day, four days dead and in the grave, no one is walking around saying, you know, maybe he wasn't dead. He was dead. And so that's why Jesus waited those days to, for, for, and in that time there was a gathering, we'll see later. Lots of people gathered, many from Jerusalem. Many of the Jews, meaning the Jewish leaders, came because this seemed to be a somewhat prominent family. And they all were there to be embarrassed by the reality of what Jesus Christ will do. But that's next time. But you see, God's timing has a purpose. And what is his purpose? It's his glory. God's greatest purpose in our life is his glory. And speaking of the catechism, go back to question number one. What is man's purpose? What are we here for? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God in our life and in our death. And so he said, we wait. Now we'll, but now it's, we're going to go for God's glory. Then verse 16, he announces, we're going to go. You know, they said, Lord, don't you remember? They're trying to kill you in Judea. And he says, you know, 12 hours, Lazarus is dead, we're going to go. And Thomas, this is the one we call Doubting Thomas. Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him, with Jesus. Well, Jesus is going to get killed there, so we might as well go with him and die. Now that's not doubting Thomas, that's just despairing Thomas. <laughs> you know, uh, he's, you know, the, you know they say that some people see a glass half full and some half empty. Thomas was quarter, you know, <laughs> empty. I mean, he's just, oh, he always took the kind of the negative side. When, when everybody said, we have seen the Lord, he has risen. Doubt Thomas, no, no. If I don't touch him, if I don't touch him, if I don't see the scars and touch them, I will not believe. Doubting, despairing, you know, negative thought first. Well, here he jumps in. Well, Jesus is going to die. We might as well all go die with him. Um, so when I read that, I smile. Poor Thomas. You know, some people, that everything they see, their first thing is, what's the worst thing that can happen? That's, that's, that's how we see it. They said that an optimist is someone who thinks, uh, you know, things couldn't get any better. And the pessimist is afraid they're right. So, 
I think, of, you know, I smile when I read this verse, and I wonder if the Lord smiled. Maybe he shook his head a little bit. Thomas. He must have done that at times with Peter. Oh, Peter. Sons of thunder. You know, he, he, how often did he walk away into a room and just shake his head and smile? And he loved him. You know, he sees us in all our weaknesses and all our frailties. And he loves us. He loves us. As we look at this text, just a couple of things I want to underscore for us. Delay and silence from God is not a denial of his love. Please don't fall into the trap of questioning his love because times are hard. Probably a better question would be to ask, Lord, how can I show your glory? In this. Lord, help me see your glory through these circumstances. And that doesn't necessarily mean the circumstances get better. God uses weak, broken people. And even in our death, he may be glorified. God wants to be glorified in our lives and our greatest honor should, could be to be a vessel of his glory. And so we pray. It's not wrong to ask for healing, for provision, for wisdom. But don't deny his goodness and love because of the delay. He, he has his schedule and he has his plan. And I can assure you every time his schedule and his plan is the better. Our goal, our, the chief end of man, is to glorify God and enjoy him, delighting in his presence. Notice, too, that patient, trusting faith is needed. Sometimes we have to wait. The Lord intentionally delays and, and, and lets a circumstances continue or get worse for a reason. He knows what's best. And so we need to patiently trust him. Patience is a challenge for us, right? Margaret Thatcher said, I'm an extraordinarily patient person, provided I get my own way in the end. And with the believer... I can be extraordinarily patient as long as God's glorified in the end. J.I. Packer wrote, Patience means living out the belief that God orders everything for the spiritual good of his children. God orders everything for the spiritual good of his children. Romans 8.28, right? We know God works all things for good to those who know him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, so let's remember it and trust in that. Mr. Spurgeon, I have to throw him in here, right? Grin and Barrett is old-fashioned advice, but sing and Barrett is a much is a great deal better. Uh, and so, and this is a man who suffered much, physically, um, personal relationships. He suffered grievously, and that's counsel for us. Another J.I. Packer. Quote, patience does not just grin and bear things. I don't know if he was reading Spurgeon at that 
stoic-like, but accepts them cheerfully as therapeutic workouts planned by a heavenly trainer who is resolved to get you up to full fitness. These trials are God's uh, training ground, growing ground, strengthening grounds. And so trusting God through it to, sh- to, to use it to refine, to use it to strengthen us, to use it for his glory. The old preacher Vance Havner said, he who waits on God loses no time. Of course, there's the wonderful prayer for patience. Dear God, please grant me patience, and I want it right now. (laughs) Oh, won't it be interesting maybe to to ask Martha and Mary, so what were you talking about? What were you thinking for those days while you waited for Jesus? And I could ask many of you the same thing at different times in your life. We can't always understand what God's purpose is. <laughs> Chapter 11, we've read ahead. <laughs> Lazarus is going to be just fine. Though I'll tell you again t- next time, poor Lazarus, he has to die twice. But for God's glory. We don't know what God's purpose is, and frankly, his purpose may be for us to get worse. For things to get harder. As a child of God, we can be assured of his love and of his grace. And he wants to use us for his glory. And so our prayer should be, here I am, Lord. Show your glory. And I will, I will trust your love for me. Our Father... Thank you for these assurances of your love. Thank you for this wonderful account of a real life situation that can remind us of our own situations and help us in those that are coming. Father, may we never question the certainty of your love for us. May we rest in that peace and trust in your wisdom and long for your glory as our supreme joy. Father, I pray for any here who have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who have yet to recognize their sin and that Jesus died for sin. Lord, open eyes to trust in you that they may know the same assurance of your love. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.